You're upset after an argument with family and friends. You run off into the distance, dropping your phone in the process. There isn't any moonlight to illuminate your path, so you wander miles from your home in the pitch black. You pause for a moment, removing your shoes, headband, and the majority of your clothing. You continue to make your way through the darkness, walking alongside tracks. You see a light in the distance, a train. As it approaches, you leap onto the tracks and collide with it, dying instantly. This is the story that New Jersey Transit Police want you to believe about the death of 18-year-old Tiffany Valiente. But is it the truth? Her family thinks otherwise, and maybe you will too. I'm Colby. I'm joined by my two best friends, Laura and Marina, and this is Grim. excited got real real fast huh it, <laughs> it did <laughs> no pleasantries <laughs> or sugar coating today guys no um and then so for anybody that's new here or maybe just needs a reminder grim actually is an acronym that stands for grave retellings of insidious murders and mysteries and today's episode is certainly going to deal with a mystery possibly a murder possibly not Ooh. okay before we jump into our case, we've got a couple of new Patreons to shout out today, which I know is our favorite part of the episode. Woo! So we've got four. <laughs> so excited. We've got four. So we have Linda S. Yeah, Woo! Linda, we, we love, love you. you. We love you. We've got Ron C. Ron, we love you. Woo! What up, cuz? I see you. <laughs> He's actually my cousin. That's why I said that. <laughs> we, we've got Catherine M. Yay! Yay, Yay Thank you. And last but certainly not least, Tiny Shogun. Woo! Thank you, Tiny. Or, or is it Tiny S? Tiny S. I am going to assume that Tiny Shogun is just a handle that somebody goes by and not their name, but you're right. If it is your last name, hello, Tiny S. Welcome. We did not say your name. I have just learned, however, this is a creative way to get us to say whatever you want. So if there's a funny <laughs> phrase you want to make us say, all you have to do is sign up for our Patreon that way. <laughs> Bob had a baby. It's a boy. Yep, oh my I'll gosh, say it. I love that. I'll I say, say that all the time, which is such an outdated reference. But... My husband says it all the time, too. Yep. So, Patreons, if you guys can't tell, we love you guys. Thank you so Yay. much for supporting us and our podcast. And for anyone else who wants to do the same, you can find us on Patreon by searching Grim, a true crime podcast. Check it out so you can find out how to get access to cool bonuses and a private Discord server with your favorite ladies. That's us. We're That's the favorite us. ladies, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> all right. So, we all know that I'm a huge fan of Unsolved Mysteries, and I have been since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. In the most recent season on Netflix, one episode in particular really caught my attention. It's called Mile Marker 45, and it details the alleged suicide of 18-year-old Tiffany Valiente. The New Jersey authorities were quick to determine her death was a suicide, but her family completely disagrees with mm. this assessment, and they do make some compelling points. After I watched the episode, I really wasn't sure what I thought happened to Tiffany, so I wanted to do some research of my own. Oh, and boy, did I ever. <laughs> I got dug in. <laughs> so my primary source of information was the documentation regarding the investigation into her death that's been compiled by the D'Amato Law Firm, which is the firm that's been working with her family to get her case reopened. They've made available documents from authorities and the findings of people hired by the family and their lawyers, such as experts from various fields and private investigators. Netflix did something that I thought was pretty cool as well. 
Um, they dropped several bonus documents in Dropbox after the episode aired. So if you guys are interested in seeing some of oh. the documents, if you just search like Netflix uh, Mile Marker 45 Dropbox, you guys will get to it. It's pretty cool. They had extra information wow. out there for anybody who wanted to dive into the case more than the episode did. That's neat. That's super cool. And this was Unsolved Mysteries on like, the, is it a reboot or is yes, it just it's, replay? It's oh, the cool. reboot on Netflix. Nice. So it, it's for anybody that hasn't seen it, <laughs> Netflix, hook your girls up. Up. We're PR for you right now. <laughs> um, it's a slightly different format than the original series okay. in the sense that it focuses on a single case per episode nice. rather than multiple cases. There are still, of course, some reenactments yeah. like we all know and love from the original <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries, but I think it focuses a bit more on interviews with people. That's super cool. It's also really cool that they do the extra info. It seems like they actually want to help get yes. them solved and they have a huge user base. So hopefully they will. I or maybe so. we will. <laughs> well, they've got such a great platform to help renew interest in a case. And mm-hmm. we saw through the, the Kristen Smart case what happens when you can get in front of the right audience. You could yeah. do some pretty amazing things. So I'm hoping that someone somewhere out there is listening to our podcast or watching on Netflix and they know something, not not even just about Tiffany's case, about any of the cases yeah. that are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So without further ado, let's talk about what happened to Tiffany Valiente on July 12th, 2015. I think it's funny how we've all gotten to, like, we're listening so patiently through the intro, but in reality, I'm like, give me the story. Let's get to it. Need the deets. (laughs) Oh, you're going to get deets. That's for sure. (laughs) All of them. All of the deets. So Sunday, July 12th, 2015, started off as a pretty normal day for Tiffany. She spent her morning at home with her family, leaving only once to grab some lemonade from a local Wawa, which happened to be where she worked. In the afternoon, Tiffany and her parents walked across the street to her uncle's house, her father's brother, and they were headed over there to attend her cousin's high school graduation party. It was a huge party. Like, there were 20 to 30 cars lined up down the street, and they were celebrating with a large group of family and friends who basically came and went throughout the day and into the early evening. Her family said that Tiffany seemed to be in good spirits at the party. She was enthusiastically talking about going off to college in August. She was excited to do some shopping for her dorm room and for some new clothes. And she was looking forward to plans with her roommate. What year did you say? Was this 2015. Was? Okay, thank you. She also mentioned that she was planning on going to Six Flags Great Adventure with friends in the morning, had plans to play softball on Wednesday, and was secretly working with one of her sisters to pick out a kitten as a surprise gift for their mom, whose birthday was about a week later. Aww. I know. Aww. I guess Tiffany felt like her mom was going to be really lonely when she moved into her dorm room, so she, this was her way of trying to help her mom with the transition and give her like a little friend to look after. after. Super cute. And she's the youngest then, I'm guessing? She is the youngest, yep. yep. Um, I think it's safe to say that Tiffany was really trying to cram in a lot of things into her last month or so of summer break, which we can all very much relate to. Mm-hmm. I very much remember that. Yep. yep. The clock is ticking, guys. Shortly after 9 p.m., a close friend of Tiffany's called her parents, Diane and Steve, saying she needed to speak with them in person, and the couple left the party and returned to their house to meet her. Tiffany's mother also had her follow them over to the house just to see what was going on, um, and her friend and her mother arrived right around 9.15, so 15 minutes after the original call was placed. When her friend stepped out of the car, she was pissed. She was yelling at Tiffany, screaming at her, accusing her of allegedly taking her debit card without her permission and buying about $300 worth of clothes and food. So the friend called Tiffany's parents yes. saying that, that Tiffany had stolen money and, or her credit card and yes. money. And her oh. mother, this friend that called her name was Jamie, um, her mom drove her over oh. there. So this was like, Yikes. I think they were prepping for a big blowout to yeah. potentially happen. Wow. 
Tiffany was absolutely shocked by the accusation, and she quickly denied any wrongdoing, and her mom did come to her aid by reassuring her friend that it had to be a misunderstanding. Tiffany had no reason to need to use her friend's debit card because a couple weeks prior, her parents had given Tiffany their credit card. So her mom was kind of saying, like, something's probably going on. Like, no, Tiffany doesn't need to steal from you. I don't know what's happening. That's Mm. so, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but that's so strange that they accuse her. Because if somebody, if I saw a bunch of charges on my credit card, I would not know who it was. I would just know that it wasn't me. And unless I had a reason to think they specifically stole the card. So perhaps if I stop talking, you'll tell me why. Hold that thought thought for a couple moments. (laughs) So what her mom said, though, did seem to largely diffuse the situation because at 924, just less than 10 minutes after they had arrived, Tiffany's friend and her mother left. Once she was gone, Tiffany and her mom started looking through Tiffany's car to find her friend's card. I think that Tiffany had told her friend that she didn't use her card, but she tended to fill the role of a designated driver for her friends. So she was saying that while she was driving this friend around, her friend probably left the card in the car, and that's why she couldn't find it. Totally reasonable explanation Mm -hmm. for why Tiffany might have the card but didn't actually use it. Right. Got it. Okay. But... During the search, Tiffany's mother caught her slipping the debit card into her back pocket sneakily, and I am pretty sure this was the moment where she stopped believing her daughter because she ran into the house to get her husband, and by the time they both came back outside, Tiffany was gone. Oh boy. One thing that I do want to state for the record, the Valianti family says that the amount was actually $86, not $300, and this was backed up by receipts that they found in Hmm. Tiffany's room. So while it wasn't $300, Tiffany did in fact charge something to her friend's card. I couldn't find anything official, but somewhere I had seen that someone in her family was basically saying she didn't buy things for herself. She was in fact driving her friend as a DD and her friend, like they went through a drive through or something and they bought things or like a gas station. So her friend was just drunk and forgot she charged Mm. it and Tiffany had the receipt because it was her car. Mm. So I don't know if she really did spend the $86 on things that were not for her friend or if they were for her friend and we might never know. But why did she stick it into her pocket That was, I think she probably did charge it on her own since she was trying to be kind of coy and hide it from her mom that she actually had it. I could see that or I could see that she probably thought if they found the card there that they'd be like, yup, you did it. And maybe she was thinking if I just hide it and then then my friend finds it later, then it wouldn't be such a big deal, but still a little, little sketchy. Very strange situation. Very strange. Also strange is that she had just seemingly disappeared without a trace in the amount of time it took her mom to walk into their house and find her dad and come back outside. Her parents had a deer trail camera in their yard, and they did have the thought to check it to see if it had captured an image of Tiffany leaving the house, and sure enough, it had. At 928, Tiffany can be seen walking away from the house towards the road in a black shirt, light blue denim shorts, light slip-on shoes, a white headband, and her hair up in a messy top knot. Headlights can also be seen coming down the road in the distance towards the Valiente home. Another image from 929 shows both of her parents and her dog Tucker in the driveway looking for Tiffany, seemingly confused. They missed her by a single minute. Oh my gosh. The dog makes me want to cry. I know, that got me, because I was thinking of Fallon waiting outside looking for me. Poor Tucker. Her family started calling her, leaving her voicemails, begging her to pick up and just come home. Several of her friends texted her, obviously worried about Tiffany, where she could be, and what she was possibly doing. But all messages and phone calls went unanswered. Tiffany actually didn't even have her phone on her. 
Her family found it on the ground near the end of her driveway more than an hour or so after they last saw her. I hate that. Mm -mm. I do too. Family and friends began to search the area. Some went out on foot walking along the tree line looking for any signs of Tiffany while others got in their cars and were canvassing areas a bit further away. So I, I think the fact that they all knew Tiffany was a typical teenager who was glued to her phone mm-hmm. 24-7, her leaving it behind, even if she was trying to like get away because she thought she was in right. trouble or avoid like an altercation or um, like an argument with her parents, they, they didn't, it didn't seem like her to not take her phone with her anywhere she went. I'm trying to put myself in that situation and just like, I feel like I would still be battling. Like, am I, am I being ridiculous? Should we put a search? Should I call the police? We talk about this every time, but it really, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine, but the phone being left behind, I'm, I'm with them. I think that would have raised red flags. I agree. There's one more thing too, that I want to share with you guys. So the incident with her friend's debit card, it wasn't an isolated one. Oh, boy. Oh, no. So the reason that Tiffany had her parents' credit card was because she had stolen some money from their bank account a few months prior. And I think that them giving her the credit card was their way of saying, like, look, if you need something, you don't need to steal. Like, just ask us. We'll support you in anything that you need. But that was why her mom was so adamant, like, Tiffany doesn't need your debit card. Like, she's got her credit card and she could charge whatever she wants to it. That being said, if my daughter stole from me, I would be far more inclined to think that she might have also stolen from a friend. Yeah. Um, and also I want to be rewarded with stealing by being given more money. Yeah. How do I sign up for that? Right. I don't understand how she would think she didn't steal because she has their credit card when the only reason she has the credit card is because she already stole it. Yeah. Unless in her mind, that was just what she was saying to kind of diffuse the situation Mm -hmm. and have the friend and her mother leave so they could kind of handle it privately as a family Mm -hmm. before figuring out what to do. Mm, I could see that. So Something like that. But it it does seem that it is probable that she took her friend's card and she probably was the one that made the charges. Her uncle, Michael Valiente, was one of the family members in the area that night helping to search for Tiffany. He decided to stray away from the rest of the group and drove down a small access road over towards some train tracks and came across a scene that made his heart stop. He could see a stretch of the tracks was very well illuminated. There was a train that had stopped and there was a heavy police presence surrounding the tracks. He got out of his vehicle and overheard an officer say that someone, possibly a female, had been hit by the train. Mm. Michael told the officer that he was out looking for his niece, and he provided a brief physical description of her, and it was enough for the officer to quickly make the connection that it was very Mm. likely Michael's missing niece that had been struck by this train. I I was so enthralled with the search and the debit card conversation that I completely forgot your intro. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. So they asked him if he felt like he would be able to identify the body. And he said that he could. One important thing that I want to add about Michael is that at the time of Tiffany's death, he was actually a New Jersey state trooper, but he wasn't active. He was on leave from the police force due to being active military. Mm -hmm. But I think he shared this information with the people who were on the scene so that they would know he was uniquely qualified Mm -hmm. to see a body in this condition. Yeah, yeah. And boy, what he saw, nobody should ever have to see this, a family member or or anyone. Because for a man who had served time in Iraq and Afghanistan and probably seen hundreds of crime scenes throughout the years, this was by far the most horrific scene he has ever come across. Michael was able to identify the body as Tiffany's based on her stature, her clothing, and what was left intact of her. Oh, geez. Despite making it clear that he was there as a concerned family member and not as an officer of the law, the New Jersey Transit Police actually had him come back to her parents' house with them in the squad car to announce what had happened. 
Meanwhile, at 11.30, just over two hours since they last saw her, her family reported her missing to the Mays Landing police, but of course, at this point, they had no way of knowing it was already too late. Mm. Right around 2.30, Tiffany's uncle arrived with police officers at the Valiente residence to break the news to the family. He, Michael, was actually the one to tell them that Tiffany had been struck by a train and didn't survive her injuries. And neither he nor the officers clarified exactly how she had been hit by the train. So her parents actually assumed that Tiffany had been in a car with other people and it collided with the train. Oh, that's a fair assumption. This is rough, though, this next thing. It wasn't until reading the paper and tweets from people in the community the next morning that they realized that not only was she on foot when she was struck, but the papers were already calling her death a suicide. Oh, and also, I know we're, we have many pages to go. I will say, as of right now, that this does not say anything suicide-related to me. Not because yet. she has, we talk all the time about plans for the future and signs, and there's plenty that goes on in people's heads. But as of right now, before you give me lots more information, that's my assessment. But that was my thought, too, when mm-hmm. at this point in kind of going through the case is that usually people don't have plans like this. And that was why I was kind of Mm -hmm. running through the extensive plans that Tiffany had for the rest of the summer and talking about some of the stuff she was looking forward to, because at this point I'm with you. Like I would not have immediately jumped to suicide as a conclusion, but none of us are the New Jersey transit police. And they did jump to the conclusion less than 24 hours after her death. They made the determination that Tiffany stood on those train tracks and committed suicide case closed. Hmm. Tiffany's family was stunned. They felt in their hearts that she hadn't done this. No one had even spoken to Diane and Steve about their youngest daughter, other than the officer who initially went to deliver the news to them. Like, how could the police be so sure so quickly? Yeah, because even if you have video on the train or something, I don't know that that can tell you anything. Right. And I will tell you, there was no video from the train to to rely on either. Very strange. So we will, of course, get into all the details regarding the investigation, including the inconsistencies, compromised and or lost evidence, as well as some other oddities that are worth noting. But I want to give you guys some more background on Tiffany and her family first as where we usually start, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So Tiffany Ida Mae Valiente was born in Atlantic County, New Jersey in March of 1997 to parents Stephen and Diane Valiente. Stephen, or Steve, was a maintenance worker for the state of New Jersey and Diane an administrative assistant for the local public school district. Tiffany was kind of an unexpected surprise for her parents. Her mother had two daughters, Jessica and Crystal, from a previous relationship. I don't know exactly how much older than Tiffany they were, but I'd imagine there was a decent age gap because I read that she basically grew up as an only child Mm. for the last 10 Mm. years of her life. Speaking of her home, she grew up in Mays Landing, New Jersey. Um, And Laura, there's a tie into one of your cases here because Mays Landing is an unincorporated community and census designated place located within Hamilton Township, Atlantic County, New Jersey. And it was the county seat of Atlantic (laughs) County. Did you look up what a county seat is? I did. My brain didn't let me look past it. I was going to say, I feel like we have to know now. So it generally means that the county legislature, courthouse, sheriff's department, hall of records, jail, and correctional facility are physically located in that municipality. So it is an important designation to carry. All right. But a little bit more about Mays Landing. I couldn't find a more recent population count, but back in 2010, when the census was conducted, there were 2,135 residents living in the 1.85 square mile town. Wow. Oh my gosh. So we are talking super teeny tiny town in a very close knit community. Mm-hmm. 1.85 square miles. Mm. So tiny. 
That were they houses? Very small. Like, was it... Well, because, like, if you compare, obviously, New York City oh, is way yes. more, but that's apartments only, whereas, like, if we're talking houses, that's super tight. It was a residential area. Yeah. 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 Tiffany was a talented athlete with a bright future and big dreams, her biggest being that she hoped to someday represent the U.S. women's volleyball team at the Olympics. She had recently graduated from Oak Crest High School and had multiple volleyball scholarship offers, five in total. Wow. And she chose to play for Mercy College in New York, where she planned to study criminal justice and hoped to serve in the U.S. Air Force someday. Wow. Jeez. Aside from her athletic accomplishments, Tiffany was well-known and well-liked in her town. She was beautiful, full of life and joy, and had her entire life ahead of her. Earlier in 2015, Tiffany had come out to her friends and family members. Her family was seemingly accepting and supportive of her. She had a girlfriend, but the pair broke things off shortly before her death, I believe the Friday before. Mm. Her mother alleges that the breakup was mutual and there were no hard feelings, but Tiffany's friends do say she was pretty broken up about it. And not for nothing, I do think both things can be true. Yes. I think it can be mutual, but I think you could still be sad that the relationship is done. Right. Definitely. I mean, timing makes sense. She's going right. off to college. That's a big time oh, yep, of change. That's a good point. So. Tough. In the episode of Unsolved Mysteries that I watched, her father showed viewers Tiffany's childhood bedroom, which they have not touched since her passing. They have left it exactly as she had it the night she died. On the door, there was a small whiteboard that read, hey, welcome to Tiffany's room, with heart balloons and the phrase, I love you, doodled all over in Tiffany's handwriting. Oh, I wouldn't touch it either. The inside of her bedroom was a bit chaotic, as most teenage girls' rooms are. There was some clothing thrown about, a bunch of pictures of family and friends on the wall, as well as a case. Like, I am talking five or six different shelves of volleyball and softball trophies. Like, she Mm. was a very talented athlete. I wanted to try to get a better understanding of her frame of mind leading up to her death, because I... Seeing her room, it it was just kind of a normal teenage room. There wasn't anything that really stood out. So I feel a little dirty and gross for saying this, but I went and I read her Tumblr. I love you for doing that, though. I read, like, a lot of posts (laughs) on her Tumblr. And you know what? I got to say, it did not really feel like the Tumblr of a depressed teenager. I saw hope in the contents of her posts. I saw someone who was sad and going through a breakup or a shitty situation posting inspirational quotes about how things are temporary and there are great things ahead. I saw someone who was reflective of their past behavior and wanting to grow and learn from it. What I did not see was anything that indicated that this was a person who had given up. She did not seem to me to be a person who had lost hope. Which says even more because in posting in Tumblr, I feel like it's a prerequisite to be depressed and and really dramatic about things so the fact that she was that optimistic and hopeful even on tumblr is pretty impressive and it was not everything she posted was like her own unique thoughts it was a lot of reposts of other quotes and even those things like the the content was really kind of like forward thinking and reflective um and then of course she had like some photos in there and like some comments back and forth with other people but I, i really didn't see anything that would point to this person being in a bad headspace hmm Her family says that there was no way that Tiffany was depressed or suicidal. She just had so many plans and so much to look forward to, like we've already said, and there was no way that she would have taken her own life. They pleaded with the authorities to reopen her case and conduct a more thorough investigation. Yeah, that's what's, I I assume this is what you're about to get into, but that's what's amazing to me is this was stated as a suicide, which already seemed unlikely, and then that that's it. They're just moving on, and um, I'm hoping that's not the case, that we're going to go back to it. Hope is a funny thing. So the, <laughs> no. <laughs> the investigation into Tiffany's death, if you can really even call what happened an investigation, was incredibly brief. 
Because the incident occurred on the railroad tracks, that meant it fell under the jurisdiction of the New Jersey Transit Police Department. New Jersey Transit is one of America's largest transit operators with significant sized police force, but most transit officers will tell you that their wheelhouse is not homicide investigations and certainly not suspicious death investigations like this. So in my opinion, they were probably not well equipped to handle the situation from the get-go, but just my opinion. Right. Well, and uh, sadly, probably many people who do get hit by a train, not in a car, on the tracks are are committing suicide. Yeah. So it is probably likely, but maybe not in this case. Also, a full autopsy was never conducted, but an external examination of the remains was, and I had to look this up because I had never really heard this as a formal phrase before, but... Um, An external examination is when the medical examiner conducts more of a visual exam than a hands-on exam of the body. So they look at things like scars, surgical incisions, medical devices, tattoos, etc. But no internal cuts are made on the body and no organs are examined. Hmm. I I hate to do this to you guys, but I I feel like I need to so you get a full understanding of the extent of her injuries. And I am going to provide a big fat disclaimer right here. Uh, The train that struck Tiffany was traveling at 80 miles per hour, so her injuries were horrific, but I want to read you excerpts from this external examination. Um, So I I timed it. (laughs) I like read through this, and it'll be like 45 seconds to 60 seconds, so if anybody is going to be triggered by an incredibly graphic recounting of Tiffany's injuries, you could feel free to skip forward a little bit from this point. Is it a grave retelling? It's super grave. Okay. The report reads, the body is that of a young female who has extensive crushing injuries due to being struck by a train. Exact height cannot be accurately evaluated as the body is crushed and in pieces. The brain is lost. There is a large wound at the back of the head. A portion of the hair is attached, which is black and covered with soft, mushy, pinkish white brain tissue. There are extensive injuries to the face. The face is completely crushed. The left ear is partially cut off and there are extensive injuries on the back of the head. The lower extremities are cut off and separated from the body with extensive crushing injuries of the lower abdomen. Portions of the internal organs also exploded from the body and were found on the scene. The right leg also shows extensive injuries, cutting injuries, and is also cut off from the body at the hip joint. The right forearm is cut off at the upper arm and separated from the body. The report concludes with, cause of death is multiple traumatic injuries, manner of death is suicide. So just to recap, in case you're just rejoining us after skipping 45 seconds or so, she had extensive, devastating injuries to her face, head, and abdomen. All four of her limbs were severed from her body, and the train hit her with so much force that her organs literally exploded out of her body. And that was the non-graphic description. Yes. And I think you guys can attest that anyone that yeah. listened, that was the non-graphic oh. description. I mean, wow. My I, face hurts from the face that I was making yeah. while she was reading that. Oh, I know that you guys love the toxicology reports and are probably thinking in your head, where's the toxicology? Well, they did run one, um, but it came back negative for all substances. Mm. There were no drugs or alcohol present in Tiffany's system at the time of her Mm. death. Oof. Just, I cannot process coming up across that scene. No, I I can't process being one of the first responders on that scene or being one of the people that was on board the train that night when it happened. It it just has to be unlike anything you've ever experienced before in your life. It is also worth noting that there was no rape kit that was conducted, but it is unclear whether or not her body was actually in a condition that would have allowed one to have been conducted. So that. that might have been why there wasn't one. The crime scene was never secured. Probably because the New Jersey Transit Police never really considered it to be a crime scene in the first place. Right. 
They did collect some evidence and they cleaned up some of the scene, but they did not do the best job. Tiffany's poor uncle. He went down to the site the morning after to look for some of Tiffany's belongings and any clues investigators may have missed from the night before. He found things. Um, He found fragments of her skull with hair still attached, a piece of her jawbone with teeth. (gasps) And on a more positive note, to give you guys something to celebrate, he found one of her bracelets and gave it to her mom, and she still wears it to this day. Oh, God. Shouldn't the police collect all of the pieces of her? That was my thought. I felt like they weren't very thorough in their cleanup of the crime scene or bagging of evidence. Her uncle had even said that he felt the crime scene was already contaminated because there were like bloody gloves left by some of the people who were there that just oh, like wow. bloody rub- rubber gloves off to the side. Yeah. And it's just, it's also, if you ignore even, even assume it's a suicide, it's to me just very disrespectful. Right. I mean, you would want her body. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You want to return yeah. all of her to her family. Oh, her man. uncle, her uncle basically said like, he ob- obviously is traumatized by the things that yeah. he saw, but he was like, thank God it was me yes. because I can't picture her mother or father having been the ones that came across the scene to identify her. Like her dad was adamant. He wanted to go down Mm-mm. to the, the scene and he was like, no, you absolutely do not need to see mm. this. You do not need to remember your daughter this oh. way. Um, so he, he was just like, thankfully I was the one who yeah. did it. And he was again, uniquely qualified yeah. to, to be one in that position, but it was wow. still really hard even for him. Jeez. When Tiffany's body had been discovered at the scene, she was wearing a bra and underwear, but I found some inconsistent information regarding the rest of her clothing. I'm not sure if the shirt she was found wearing was the black shirt observed on her parents' trail camera or a different one. I saw conflicting information, but she was found wearing a shirt. However, her shorts, shoes, and headband were nowhere to be found. I don't care how hard you get struck by a train. Denim does not no. evaporate into a bajillion pieces. No. They're, like Her shorts should have been there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So should have her shoes. Yeah. Shifting to talking a little bit about the train itself for a second, photos of the train show that the point of impact was to the lower left side of the train, close to the track, and there was a pooling of a dark colored substance on the tracks. The substance, surprise, surprise, was never tested, but it was assumed to have been blood based on the coloring. I did find the description of her injuries to be odd, specifically the comments about her limbs being cut Mm. from her body. They were very specific using the word cut. If Tiffany was crouched on the tracks or slumped over them, it is entirely possible that the tire of the train could have severed her limbs in a cutting manner. But if she had jumped in front of it or was standing upright, I don't know that it makes as much sense for things to be cut from her body. So to me, this just says that it is all the more important for us to understand, was Tiffany already laying on the tracks Mm. or did she jump? Yeah, and and not, I, I was going to say not to be graphic, but I think the rest of this is going to be graphic um, no matter what we do. But I'm wondering, though, if if she were walking or standing in front of the train, if when it hit her, it like flung her forward and effectively laid her across the track. It may have. Because I was thinking the same thing. To, in order to have something cut, it would be on the tracks. There was one more thing that was recovered from the site that we haven't talked about yet. There was an axe with red markings recovered from the woods nearby the crash site. It was collected and processed as evidence. The train that struck Tiffany was New Jersey Transit number 4693 coming from Philadelphia traveling to Atlantic City. At the time of the incident, there were a total of 60 passengers and crew on board the train. The train was on its way to rendezvous with another train nearby that had encountered issues, leaving its 112 passengers stranded. 
Prior to striking Tiffany, train 4693 headed towards a railroad crossing on Genoa Avenue. It was traveling a very dark stretch of track in a heavily wooded area near mile marker 45, hence the name of the Netflix episode, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was about a mile away from the nearest main road. That would be so creepy. Mm -hmm. Super creepy. Where you might run if you were being chased with someone with an axe. Maybe, you would say. Mm -hmm. So despite the amount of people that were on the train, there were really only two eyewitnesses to the incident, right? Because it was the front of the train that struck her and the passengers are further back. And it was kind of late too. It was 11.16 or 11.17 p.m. Yeah, not that people are necessarily sleeping, but they're not maybe as active or awake as they would have been in the middle, middle of the day. So the two eyewitnesses that were on board the train, they were both engineers. One was a senior engineer and the other was a student engineer. And on the night of Tiffany's death, they both signed reports stating that they had each seen Tiffany dive in front of the train. Hmm. However, six days later, when he was asked under oath, the senior engineer told a very different story. This time, he admitted that he actually had his back turned when they struck Tiffany. Um, Remember how I mentioned they were rendezvousing with another train that had stranded passengers? He happened to, at that moment, have turned around and talked to his conductor to just go through the plan of getting those passengers off of the other train. That's a weird thing to make up. Right? Well, unless you were told to. Unless you were told to, to close the investigation Mm -hmm. quickly. Right. Also, I was just realizing that you meant a train engineer. (laughs) Yeah, not like a software engineer, a train engineer. That makes far more sense. At this time, right, so six days later, the student engineer really just said, you know, he first saw Tiffany when the train was practically on top of her. Mm. Then, ten days later, when the student engineer was questioned, also under oath, he too had a new story to share. He said that he first saw Tiffany near the tracks about a half a mile to a quarter mile away. Then he saw her jump out of the woods and onto the track. Okay, she's a little different. fast. Yeah. Like, what? That's not possible. First of all, you're in a wooded area. It's dark. Your train is going 80 miles an hour and you see somebody a half a mile away and yep. then in front. I don't, mm, I don't know. That was his thought. So we'll, we're going to come back way later on when I try to poke a bunch of holes in the case okay. to the, the whole when he saw and okay. if we can kind of corroborate that at all. But we'll come back to it. So just just remember for now that the final story that this engineer had told was that he saw something, probably a person near the tracks about a half a mile to a quarter mile away. Um, okay. Okay. The problem with these eyewitness testimonies is not only that they're inconsistent, but it was so heavily leaned on when the authorities determined the matter of death. And the fact that it was conflicting accounts and what we now know was just a single eyewitness, the New Jersey Transit Police stand by the inconsistencies and they just are kind of rolling with it. Mm -mm. One thing I will say in the student engineer's defense I read some of the statements that he had given on the night the incident occurred, and honestly, it seemed like he may have been in shock. And I can't say that I surprised that he was in shock his statement reads a lot like he's rambling and his mind is elsewhere probably processing the horrific trauma he just witnessed right and he was not quite present mentally for the specific conversation again probably because he just saw somebody explode in front of his eyes right that would probably do something to a person i think it would do something to you yeah yep The New Jersey Transit Police also maintained that on the night of the incident, Michael Valiente had passed along secondhand information that his niece had been having disagreements with her mother and that her friend said she had cut herself. Michael claims that this is false and this conversation absolutely never happened. With all this information, and I know our listeners can't see this, but I'm saying all with air quotes, the medical examiner and New Jersey Transit Police concluded that Tiffany left the graduation party, 
dropped her phone at the end of her driveway, walked down Drosera Avenue, turning onto Wrangleboro Road and then Genoa Ave before ultimately walking off of the main roads and along a service path by the train tracks for about a mile before jumping in front of the oncoming train. This trip would have been about four miles, all while apparently barefoot, because remember, her shoes are not yeah. there, and in total darkness because she does not have her cell phone. That's what I was thinking. I could imagine how she would know there were train tracks there because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about like when I was her age, we used to go to like different neighborhoods and play like capture the flag or manhunt and we would like run through all kinds of shortcuts between properties and stuff. We yeah. definitely were trespassing like crazy. But usually teenagers know about like, you know, mm-hmm. secret hideouts or little paths and stuff like that. So I could see how she knew it. She also would have had to have known the train schedule um, as well that night to be able to kind of intercept yeah. it at the perfect moment. I grew up literally one lot away from a train track, and I could not have told you that schedule. That's so. actually good to know, because I did, I did not know that about yeah. you, and that's interesting. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I think you'll come back to this when you're going through the theories, but timing-wise, how long would it have taken her? How long did she have to walk four miles? She went, the last known image of her was at 928, and we know the train hit her at either 1116 or 1117. Okay. So she had slightly under two hours to walk four miles. Uncomfortable, but possible. Uncomfortable, but possible. Especially for somebody who was very athletic. I mean, she could have jogged, right, for all we know. Two miles an hour is not that fast. And the reason that I mentioned all of these street names is that in the map that I've already shared with Laura and Marina and the one that will be posted on our socials, it plots out her path that she would have had to have taken that night from her parents' house to the train tracks. And I think you will all see this when you look at it, but it is certainly not the most logical path one would take to get to these tracks. Right. Um, Again, I know nobody's looking at this except for us, but basically there is a diagonal road that she could have taken to probably cut the distance in half, I would think, to walk over to that train. She also could have walked through the golf course and a few other like commercial properties in the area and shortcut it. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, the authorities have said this is the path she took that night. It does seem to me like the authorities were just making an assumption that she stuck to the main roads for the portion of the, the time that she was walking to the train. And that's that's the goal of detectives, right? Is just make a whole bunch of assumptions right, and yeah. call it a day. They okay. were like, she <laughs> definitely took the most convenient way to yeah. her death. Four days after her death, authorities did bring in a dog to try to track her scent. And the dog did seem to mostly stick to this bizarre path that the authorities mapped out. But I will say it had rained heavily in the days in between. So it's possible the scent was diluted or just not as strong as it otherwise would have been. Um, and there wasn't a lot of weight really given to this just because I, I think a lot of times authorities will just say that the dogs could be like unreliable for one reason or another. But um, I think the fact that it had rained and rained heavily also really factored into this. I wonder if they walked the path too. They might have. Like is I there extra scent know. that way or something? Yeah. You know, I don't know. So while it is entirely possible that Tiffany did in fact commit suicide, I don't feel like enough of an investigation was conducted to be able to rule out something else having happened. Definitely not. And neither does her family. In July of 2016, they filed a civil suit challenging the medical examiner's ruling and asserting that Tiffany had been kidnapped and murdered. A 20-page report compiled by an expert hired by the family provides a pretty damning portrayal of the gaps and shortcomings of the initial investigation. But before we get into all of that, I do want to discuss some things that point to her death being a suicide, since that is the current official ruling. So the biggest fact here is that there is very little, if any, physical evidence to point to a crime having occurred. So I would say that's kind of first and foremost, there was no evidence of another person being involved, therefore she must have jumped in front of a train. 
Other than the axe. Yeah. Other than that axe. That pesky axe. Pretty close to the scene, right? Not like that's a murder type weapon or anything. No, not at all. Candlestick. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say that there are a handful of things that just don't make any sense and conclusions that you could jump to, but really nothing has been found that implicates another individual being involved. Um, The fact of the matter is that Tiffany was seen on camera walking off alone and no one that we know of ever saw her again alive. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people aged 10 to 24, and lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth are at a significantly increased risk. Mm -hmm. They are more than four times as likely to attempt suicide as their peers, which Mm -hmm. is just awful, guys. We have to to do better. Mm -hmm. Um, With Tiffany recently having come out, she may have been struggling with her sexuality and how she was been treated by others, but it certainly didn't seem like the case. Um, However, none of us can say for certain what she was going through internally that maybe she didn't share with others. Right. We also know that one of the risk factors for suicide is having a family history of mental illness. There was a family history of anxiety and depression. Mom had previously been on medication for depression, but she wasn't taking anything at the time, and both of her sisters were on anxiety meds. We also know about Tiffany stealing money from her parents and about the incident with her friend, but she was also skipping class, and things may not have been going so great at home after all. In 2014, one of Tiffany's teachers saw a bruise on her arm, and after discussing it with Tiffany, the teacher felt she had an obligation to report the incident to DCF. And the case was investigated by DCF, who visited the home three times and spoke to family members. All three visits were related to this one incident. There was no documentation suggesting any other abuse had been observed. That seems extreme. Like, I'm sure that I have had bruises in high school and other times, so must have been pretty bad. And yeah. the questioning must have made her concerned. So the caseworker that was assigned to them did suggest that Diane and Tiffany undergo counseling at Atlanticare Behavioral Health. And they did. Well, they went to a single session. And they did discuss that she and her mom had gotten into a heated argument and her mom had punched her after losing her temper. Oh, okay. Diane admitted to this while they were sitting there and she said it was due to her menopausal mood swings, but she did appear to be very apologetic about the incident and they observed that there was no real tension or anything between the pair. So other than some obvious poor communication between mother and daughter, the therapist felt like they had a pretty stable relationship. Last but certainly not least, a couple of her friends had reportedly told authorities that Tiffany was always sad and had cut herself on multiple occasions, once on her wrist and two separate times on her leg. They also shared that Tiffany was stubborn, had a temper when angry, was impulsive, but she never talked about suicide. Most teenagers who cut themselves are not suicidal. Mm. Some are, of course, but for the most part, they're actually doing it to feel better because it offers them a release. So I actually don't give a lot of weight to this Mm -mm. meaning that she was suicidal. It could just mean she was dealing with a lot of things and this was just a coping mechanism. And none of that would have been known at the time of the investigation. Right. So I'm still even questioning if it's legitimate or if it it points to a suicide now. But none of that would have been known. They wouldn't have known in the first 24 hours because they didn't talk to anybody in the first 24 hours. (laughs) When her medical records were checked, there was no record of suicidal thoughts or intentions, no evidence of anxiety or depression, and in the external examination, there was no mention of any cut marks, like slice marks, um, on her body. Not for nothing, but Tiffany really liked to wear crop tops and shorts, and she was often showing some skin, and in no photo that I have seen has any cut mark been visible on her body. Again, she could have been strategically placing them, so the cuts were going to be covered up, but I saw nothing. Hmm. 
So in my opinion, the strongest support for the suicide theory is the lack of evidence pointing to an otherwise responsible party. Based on the five different points that I had just laid out, combined with her recent breakup, you could very easily make the case that this is the only logical conclusion that can be reached based on the facts and the evidence we have. Yeah, I guess. But I also think if this were another case and we weren't, if someone wasn't already saying this was suicide, if we were telling this case on one of our episodes, we'd be like, all right, but what do we know about X, Y, Z? Like you'd go digging for the the reason for other things. Right. Hmm. That's where I was going to go next. So, but what about the things we don't have and don't know due to a lack of a thorough and complete investigation? So I want to discuss some points to introduce some doubt. Um, I'll go through them in the order of what I consider to be the least impactful to the most impactful. So let's start by talking about the suicide method. First, I did some research and I learned that women are more likely to commit suicide through less violent means than men. Women are way more likely to overdose on medications or drugs, ingest a poison, drown or die from hanging, whereas men are far more likely to use firearms. Hmm. Um, I don't know about you all, but in my opinion, jumping in front of a train seems like a pretty violent way to go. I know it's not exactly a firearm, but it seems pretty violent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another issue is that Tiffany suffered from nyctophobia or an intense fear of the dark. And this was pretty common knowledge. Just about every family member or friend who was interviewed for the episode of Unsolved Mysteries brought it up at some point. Why would someone who was terrified of the dark walk almost four miles in the pitch black darkness to their death? Remember, she doesn't have her cell phone with her, so it's not like she could use it as a flashlight. And on this particular night, there was barely any illumination from the moon. Why would she even wander off into the dark? Right. Why she's terrified of the dark. Why would she walk Mm -hmm. anywhere on her own other than back across the street to the party? Because I was thinking maybe somebody abducted her right from her driveway, but you said that there's video of her walking away there. It's not a video. It's an image. There's an image of her walking towards the street, but some people do think she was abducted because on that same image, you can see that there are headlights coming down Mm -hmm. the street. So it's entirely possible. She willingly or unwillingly got in that car with somebody okay i'm also stuck on why her phone is it was on the driveway right so it's not like it's in the middle of the road no it was it was either in the driveway or in the grass off to the side of the driveway but it was at her house yeah i'm just trying to picture what she would have been doing to put it there or drop it or what that scenario was followed by was she abducted was she distracted and either way, I'm not super terrified of the dark and I still, there is not a chance I would walk without any light by myself, no matter how upset I am. No. Absolutely not. Nope. Never. I would not either. Never. Third, Tiffany's shoes and her headband were eventually found. They were found by her mother nearly two weeks after Tiffany's death. Diane was out for a long walk along Tilton Road and happened to notice the shoes. They were placed in the woods about a foot apart. She said it was almost like somebody had grabbed her right out of them. She says she fell to the ground sobbing, and it was then she found her daughter's headband as well. I do want to note that Tilton Road was not on the path the police mapped out. So that means that either Tiffany took a slightly different path than they were initially thinking, which is totally possible, and for some strange reason, she decided to remove her shoes and headband at that particular location, or somebody might have placed them in that particular location after her death. Mm -hmm. Or somebody, or somehow they were removed when she was abducted or or whatever the situation. Very strange. But the, the scenario that she took them off there on her way to go jump in front of a train another because that's not far that was on the map you showed us it's like halfway yep between so maybe i don't know a mile like 
it makes absolutely no sense why she would take her shoes off then. It really feels like an abduction. She, from that point where her shoes were discovered, it was another 1.75 miles to the train. So that means she would have had to, again, right, we're focusing on completely in the dark and barefoot walk almost two miles. And in my opinion, given that we know that she was barefoot and she couldn't see where she was going, you could reasonably expect that her feet would be torn up from her journey. I was going to ask you if they checked her feet. They did check her feet and they were pristine. Okay. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. And then now the other thing I'm thinking about is, is it Tilton? Tilton. Yep. It was, did that street have streetlights? I I don't know. I'm not sure if there were streetlights. I will explore on Google Maps, but I'm wondering if, because that would be far more plausible that maybe she was, I don't know, upset about something, nervous, whatever, blowing off some steam, did actually just walk that way. Maybe her phone fell out of her pocket. Fine. So that explains that. She's walking. Then I could see like, that would be something you might do to blow off some steam, but you're in the light and then yep. then maybe someone found her. But I still don't think that she walked all the way, took her shoes off and then right. walked it'd another be, almost two miles. It'd be so random to do that mm-hmm. at that place on the road. Like what would make you just decide like, nah, I don't need these shoes anymore. Okay. So I really wanted to know if there were streetlights or something or if it made more sense to go down that diagonal road. So we were just looking, uh, we had paused for a minute and we were just looking at Google Maps. And first, it definitely, I mean, it has streetlights now. We don't know for sure if it did in 2015, but it's a very busy road, way busier than a service road or anything like that. And when we were looking at it, it goes north, kind of west diagonal and it crosses, or you could cross the railroad tracks. And on the other side, is the Wawa. We are not positive. We don't have confirmation that this was the Wawa that she worked at. By the way, Wawa is a convenience store. If you're not in this area, it's a strange name. Oh. I Just in case anyone wonders what we're saying. Guys, it's the best convenience store gas station yeah. ever. They have sandwiches. Anybody not from the Northeast is like, that's disgusting. Why are you getting sandwiches okay. from the gas station? But so good. Confession time. Oh no. I've never been. I've never been to a Wawa. We don't have them in Connecticut. Um, We'd have to go to Pennsylvania or New Jersey to go to one. Okay. I've been to a Wawa. I have never had a Wawa sandwich. Okay. So grim grim field trip. Um, But again, we digress (laughs) as we (laughs) tend to do. So we're looking and if you follow this road diagonal, you see where it goes to the train tracks and right on the other side, not very far past is the Wawa. So I was saying, I think... Do I think she set off from her house specifically to go to that Wawa? Maybe not, but you could arguably have crossed the golf course and then gone up, um, again, kind of northwest up to the Wawa. It's possible that she was kind of, maybe she was upset from something or just like wanting to get out of the out of the area or away from everyone. Maybe her phone just fell out. If she was wearing jeans shorts, I've Short had my shorts. Phone, yeah, I've had my phone fall out of pockets, whatever. Would explain, because I can't imagine why it was sitting on the grass or the driveway. Um, and maybe she was on her way there, just kind of picking a destination in her mind, not really specifically going in. And I still think that something, someone happened to her at that point, because I don't, I don't see any reason why she would have stopped directly, you know, nicely took her shoes off and her headband off. That makes no yeah. sense. And, and we do know she worked at a Wawa. Mm-hmm. We're just assuming based on proximity mm-hmm. to her that this was the one that she worked at. Um, and if that's the case, like when I was her age, I, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts and I remember going to Dunkin' to visit mm-hmm. my friends when they were working and I wasn't. Like it wasn't walking distance, but I would go and grab a coffee and hang out with them for a little bit. So 
in my opinion, maybe she just had a work friend. Like, you know, she had just been accosted about this whole debit card right. thing. Her parents weren't believing her. Maybe she just needed to blow off steam and go talk to somebody that like was totally removed from the situation. Yeah. And we did, we aren't sure if this exact Wawa was there in 2015, but I did look at the Google reviews and five years ago, a Jean Langdon said that it was a crappy old Wawa. And so one can assume it was there in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I was thinking about like, wouldn't you notice if you were going to meet a friend or, or for any reason, wouldn't you notice that your phone is gone? You probably would, but like, what if you were just committed to walking away? Like I definitely would not walk back if I realized it like half an hour in, I'm not walking back and like, you've lost all your steam, you know? So anyway, those are my theories currently. I love looking at maps. I still question if she did have an extreme fear of darkness Mm. I question her walking away even with streetlights. True, true. Because true. if you are afraid of the dark, mm. like my neighborhood has streetlights and I do not want to go walk around my block at night. True. And I don't have an extreme fear of the dark. Right. Like, just because there's streetlights, to me, it's still dark. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good, especially if there's no moon or anything. Right. And even if you're mad, I don't know. And it was quick, right? That Because you, you were commenting on how quickly... It was from the time that her yes, mom went yes. inside. So like you probably aren't just storming off down the road. They probably would have seen her. Right. So that kind of took the wind out of my sails there. But And it is important to note that nobody saw her right. like passing by. And Tiffany was not an easy girl to miss. She was either six foot two or six wow. foot three. Like she, you knew she was yeah. there. It's not like somebody would have driven by her and not noticed her. Like they, they definitely would have. And it was such a small town that... It's like everybody knows everybody. You're Mm -hmm. all up in each other's business. Like if she had stuck to the roads, I find it very hard to believe that anybody missed her. True. So then that comes back to was she just abducted right off from the driveway or something? Mm. Mm, I hate unsolved. Love them. (sighs) Love them. Love these theories. Keep giving them to me. So remember how I said that all of her phone calls that night went unanswered? There's a little baby lie that I told there. That was like 99% true. Her phone records indicate that at 1040, somebody picked up a phone call from Tiffany's friend, Jamie. Mm. And that conversation lasted 24 seconds. So it wasn't long, but we do know from Taylor Swift that Joe Jonas dumped her in in 25 seconds. So you definitely can have a conversation that quickly with somebody. Who found her phone? Do you remember? Like who said they found the phone? I'm not sure. It might have been one of her sisters. Mm. I don't think it was her mom or dad. I think it was one of her sisters. But um, the family, I was going to get to this in a second, but the family did not have the phone. According to them, they did not Mm. have it at 1040. They found it closer to 11. Mm. Oh, what if somebody dropped it? back into the yard later right Hmm. and that would have been enough certainly maybe not enough time to walk four miles it would have been plenty of time to drive it Mm -hmm. yeah um what did the friend say i don't know if anybody ever asked her who she spoke to there was no record of anybody ever speaking to jamie about this she might have been questioned i don't know no i never saw anything about who why she called at that point in time or Uh, who picked it up. I mean, uh, clearly if it had been substantial and that either if they had interviewed her and it had been substantial, we would know about it. And if they didn't interview her, then we probably would know what we know now. So the, the interesting thing too, that I had read about Jamie was that I, I think Tiffany's family may have started to ice her out shortly after Tiffany's death. I, I don't think that they ever thought that Jamie had anything to do with this in any way, shape, or form, so I'm not trying to suggest that, but more, I think their last interaction with her with Tiffany present was negative. So for some reason, I did read that 
Jamie really didn't have much of a relationship with the family after that. So I don't, I genuinely don't even know if anybody from her fam, her family, Tiffany's family even asked Jamie who picked up. Was Jamie the one with the credit card missing? Yep. Yep. But she didn't, she did not have anything to do with this as far as we know. Hmm. Phone records also indicate that on two occasions during the 10 o'clock hour, two apps on her phone that used a lot of data were accessed. It's not possible for it to have been Tiffany, right? Because Mm-mm. she she had to be over near the train tracks at that mm-hmm. amount of time. We talked that if she was walking at a normal pace, she'd be walking like a 20-minute mile. If it was during the 10 o'clock hour, like she might have had a teeny bit of wiggle room to have been using her phone in her driveway, but there's no picture of her on camera after 928. So it seems highly unlikely that it was her. And I know that, you know, maybe, maybe somebody could say the wind blew and it bumped the phone into a blade of grass and it picked (laughs) up the call. But then how did it use two apps that consumed a lot of data? Like, I don't know what the apps were. Like, could it, for all I know, it could have been like Tumblr and Instagram or something like that. Right. Um, But they didn't just open magically by themselves. But do we know, don't apps sometimes use data in the background? Like a lot. Like Reddit, I think, uses a shit ton of yes. data in the background. Yes, there are a lot of apps like that, but I know you can set them to only mm-hmm. consume data when um, you're physically using the app instead of when it's just kind of dormant in the background. I don't know about the settings on Tiffany's cell phone or anything like that. It was just worded in a mm. way that the apps were launched mm. during that time. Also, almost. this okay. was 2015, so I'm not sure it was quite as advanced of right. like not be- using background data and all that stuff, so... The phone piece is not sitting well with me. I think to Laura's point, it could have fallen out of her pocket. I, she, this phone was glued to this girl. Like mm-hmm. her parents even made comments that they had bought her a waterproof case because she took her cell phone in the shower with her. Like she was oh. like a typical teenager mm-hmm. glued to her phone. Why, why would you leave it? Like there are ways you could have taken the phone with you and put it on do not disturb or airplane mode. Like if you didn't want anybody to be able to reach mm-hmm. you because you didn't want anyone to have an opportunity to change your mind, you you could have still done that and taken your phone with you for like light yeah. <laughs> on your path. I, I am leaning more and more toward, so I still don't think it's a suicide. I'm leaning more and more toward it was an accident that the phone was left behind. I really think it had to have just come out of her pocket or something. That seems the, like the most logical explanation for that. And then it still makes me think that she was somehow abducted or something, or it was someone that she knew, because I just really think I would have to look, I'll have to go back on the maps, but I I would think that her parents would have seen her if she was walking in either direction. Right. It's a straight road. And they were you out know? on foot searching right. for her, and some people were in cars. Like, yeah. so I, I mean, somebody should have seen her if she was out on her own walking. She was abducted. There yeah. is, I'm thinking about myself. I bring my phone with me in the morning when I go for a walk, and I, it, I will put it in my pocket. By the time I am less than 10 paces away from my door, mm. I'm reaching in my pocket for my phone. True. Right. If That's she so is true. pissed off and she's walking away, you know, in annoyed or whatever, the first thing she's going to do, especially as a typical teenager that's glued to her phone, she's either going to pull out her phone to turn on the flashlight because she's afraid of the dark right. and you don't know if there's streetlights, and she's going to pull it out to pull up Instagram or Tumblr or text a friend or call a friend. Like there is no way that she doesn't realize very quickly that she does not have her cell phone. If it just accidentally fell out of her pocket, like there's just no way in my opinion. Yeah. I have to agree with you though. Yeah. You would notice, especially if, especially if you're wearing tight shorts, tight denim shorts, you feel that in your pocket and you you know, feel a phone and you know, to check for it. 
Right. Like you're constantly right. checking for it. So she's afraid yeah. of the dark and she just walks away from her house and doesn't pull out yeah. her cell phone until she's so far away that she's too far to turn around. Right. No way. No, Man, no I way. Liked, I liked my Wawa theory. I'm so sorry. But I completely I just, agree with no. you. Yeah, the more I, just, I think about it. Yeah. No yep. way. We're yep. all, especially, and we're all ta- more attached to our phones than we even were right. in 2015. Yeah. But for a teenager, totally. she would have realized very quickly she did not have it. I'm realizing every single case I do, I figure out where the person lived and I have to look it up on Google Maps. And I'm realizing that you may not also do that. I just, I have to picture where everything is. I, I didn't do it because when I was watching Unsolved Mysteries, when they were interviewing her parents, they were at the house. So in my mm-hmm. head, I was like, I know this house yeah. right, kind of a right. thing. So I didn't pull it up. Yeah. I got a fun math problem for you, Laura, or it at least was a fun math problem for me while I was trying to put this case together. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the inconsistent and unreliable eyewitness account here. We know that we only have a single eyewitness account from the student engineer, but can we trust his changing story? One angle we can examine further is whether or not the train's event recorder confirms any of the engineer's accounts of the evening. Mm. So an event recorder is similar to black boxes that airplanes have that record their key events. For trains, they capture everything that's happening with the engine speed, when the horn is sounded, when the brakes or emergency brakes are triggered, even when the headlights are on. It's apparently super easy to read and really straightforward, so it's not like somebody could be like not qualified to read it mm-hmm. and misinterpret the information. Like It's apparently very straightforward. So remember that the student engineer claims he first saw Tiffany from a half mile to a quarter mile out, at which point he says he sounded the horn, rang the bell, struck Tiffany, and hit the emergency brake. Oh, I didn't realize he was driving or, or conducting. He, he was like at the front oh, of the train by oh, himself. The, that's yeah. so sad. Oh, that poor guy. So again, we've talked about this a couple of times, but the train was traveling at a speed of 80 miles per hour or 117 feet per second. If he had really seen Tiffany from a half a mile to a quarter mile away, that means he would have seen her between 22 and 11 seconds prior to striking her. The event recorder on board train 4693 that night showed that only 4.1 seconds had passed from the time the horn was sounded to the time the emergency brake was pulled. There was no record of the bell being rung. This does not support the student engineer's claims. Instead, it points to him not seeing Tiffany until he was a mere 235 feet or two seconds away from hitting her. So in my opinion, you don't really have an accurate account of what happened. You don't have an eyewitness. Did he see Tiffany jump in front of the train? Did he see somebody push or throw her in front of it? Or was her body on the tracks already and the motion he saw was the explosion that was caused by the force of the impact? Oh, Also... I, I'm really into the maps right now. I'm doing distance while you're saying this. Yes. And the I was noticing, because I was zooming in, that road that goes diagonal is a bridge over. Because I was thinking to myself, okay, somebody abducted her. How the heck are they getting her into, like, onto the train tracks and where? Right. Uh, it's pretty easy if you stop on a bridge and dump the body off the side. Oh. Maps, guys. Okay, but... So this is the second time that I'm like, but have police officers not looked at maps or been there? Are you sure? Are you positive? The New Jersey Transit Authority it's really did like the bare minimum, guys. Like yeah. they they did not validate anything. Like right. invest but- when you say suicide, case closed, no further investigation happened. So the private investigators, maybe they've pitched things like this before. And it might just have been that I, I didn't see it in the documents that I read. Yeah, I was gonna say, what about the web sleuths though? 
So believe it or not, Laura has actually come up with a handful of things that nobody in the Reddit threads said. I looked in the Unsolved Mysteries Reddit thread. I looked in a Tiffany Valiente Reddit thread. Nobody was on the maps like this girl is. <laughs> yeah, heard it here first, folks. No, I really, I because re- it's because I have to picture mm-hmm. where things are happening and how. Um, I think I shattered your Wawa theory. You with did. The cell phone. You did. Thing, but, but I this got a new is one. a new interesting. I got a new one. Yeah. I don't know that I'm going to take this one away from you. It, <laughs> it, the only other thing, though, is if you think about the engineer's testimony or, or, or account of what happened, if he's saying he saw her on the tracks, though. He's saying he saw something either on or near the tracks from a half a mile to a quarter mile away. And then when he was almost on top of her, he saw her jump. But his whole point that as soon as he saw something, he sounded the horn Mm. is not correct because only 4.1 seconds passed and he would have had 22 to 11 seconds Mm -hmm. to do it. And I think with the way the events were recorded, I, I think it can record impact because it looked like it was horn was sounded impact to train emergency brake pulled in 4.1 seconds. So he, he did not sound the horn as soon as he saw her. If he saw her from a mile to a quarter yeah. mile away. And God forbid if she was alive when she went over the bridge. Like, what if she stood up, you know? Yeah. We, we don't We don't know. And I, no. I had never looked at the map to think, like, did her... So her parents are pretty adamant that they think, like, sexual assault was a motive in mm. this case. So it's possible that maybe they know something that we don't know. Mm. Or maybe they're thinking, like you do, like, somebody picked up Tiffany, sexually assaulted her, and then... Maybe they weren't intending to murder her. Maybe they were just trying to like kick her out of the car and she fell off of the bridge or something. Yeah. Cause like, you know, she was like upset, stumbling, whatever, disoriented. I, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. And especially like if, if we think that someone picked her up, maybe it was someone she knew. So you don't have to wor- like, it happened so quickly because maybe she's upset. She sees someone that she knew and they're like, get in the car and you know, right. it, cause that could happen super yep. quick, you know? Yep. Oh, so many theories. I hate unsolved. The biggest doubts, though, guys, are introduced when we look at the mishandling of the evidence, the scene, and Tiffany's body. So after asking for a while and their request going completely unheard, the Valiente family actually won a court order to have the evidence from the case tested. Good. You would think, but... Oh, no. The shirt that Tiffany was wearing had been stored in a plastic bag and tied into a knot, and it had become covered with mold, which rendered it essentially scientifically (sighs) useless. Other key items collected from the scene had been outdoors and exposed to elements for weeks prior to being collected, again, making them similarly useless, contaminated. Even worse, the blood card containing Tiffany's DNA had been so poorly mishandled that analysts reevaluating it, they couldn't even be certain it was hers. They had to retest her parents to confirm that it was Tiffany's. Wow. And that axe we were holding on to hope for, guys, gone. The family, oh, the family learned me? that it had been recovered from the scene and then misplaced. It was never <gasps> tested. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I every time you, I don't know what letters you use, but I keep hearing in my head NTSB, 
and it's not, which is the National Transportation Safety Board. And the reason I know that is because I love the show Air Disasters. And that's who, <laughs> hear me out. Um, does this surprise you? Is this like why airplanes crash? Are you going yes. into my nightmare here? Yes. And it's mm. so, actually, you might be, com- no, you wouldn't be comforted. No, I would not be. Um, no, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> so I watch all of those and the analysis that they do, because they have a similar, the black boxes have all the yep. information, similar things, but how meticulous they are with recovery from an airplane. They capture, I mean, literally, they'll capture, they'll be like, we, we recovered this one little bolt. And they have it all laid out in their big hangers with all, they reconstruct things. And I'm so angry because I think the answer would be relatively clear. I really do. If they had collected the right information yep. and done the right analysis and had the interviews all done a regular investigation, even like a minorly subpar one. And it just really infuriates me because this poor family does not have closure on this and probably never will based on what you're telling us. I think it's become relatively clear that the unsolved cases remain unsolved when critical evidence is Mm -hmm. not preserved in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's just when the evidence doesn't exist, it's a dead end. We should start a show that um, is called the first 48 and um, oh my gosh and talk about how critical it is to to find information in the yeah, first 48 just, hours yeah educate people yeah. how important it I think is it, i think it'd be a hit it's almost like that no one's ever thought to do that before I know. well right? listen hey i i struggled once <laughs> <laughs> even a broken clock is right twice a day that right that's what we hear favorite saying. <laughs> that's my favorite saying Okay, so just one more thing on the mishandled mm. evidence so after her parents had found her shoes and her headband they never saw them again oh so all all evidence gone or contaminated her her poor family they did pay out of pocket for dna testing on what was there and it just there was nothing useful and they even got a letter back from the company that did the analysis from them basically saying like we're sorry the evidence was not preserved very well like this didn't this did not happen in compliance with any kind of protocol or standard and like basically you guys are out of luck We also already know that the medical examiner didn't conduct a complete autopsy, but I also have to share with you guys that the medical examiner never even went to the scene of the accident. How can you truly feel confident in your conclusion without examining the scene? It just seems very bizarre to me. Yeah, even with pictures and all that, which I guarantee would be shitty pictures anyway. Like, why, why would you think that? Oh, no idea. I'm so infuriated. I mean, I don't think medical examiners don't necessarily go out to crime scenes always but if you're not doing an internal review right if you're just doing this external review like wouldn't you want to see right. where the body was or like where the rest of it was since mm-hmm. we already right. know they left pieces of her on the train tracks for I, her mm-hmm. uncle to collect i am so offended by that i mean not personally you know what i mean like i'm a, i'm offended on behalf of the family for that that is awful absolutely awful even as a, a human even if you ignore the fact that it should be your job to do that wouldn't you want to? Wouldn't you walk around and like want to do that for the family? I, I would think so. Really infuriating. So it's now been a little more than seven years since Tiffany's death, and her family feels like they aren't any closer to answers than they were on the day that she died, but that doesn't prevent them from continuing to pursue justice for Tiffany. They're not sure what happened, but they strongly suspect that someone abducted her from outside of her home, possibly sexually assaulted her, pushed her or chased her into the path of the oncoming train. And the family's lawyer, I think, sums it up pretty well in his statement. He says, you have parents, you have sisters who have to live with the fact that some governmental agency concluded that their loved one committed suicide when the fundamentals of a suicide investigation weren't done. 
There's a wrong here we're trying to right for the benefit of them. We have no doubt that Tiffany did not take her own life and the medical examiner's office made a grave error in misclassifying her death as a suicide. It is our hope that this litigation will not only result in proper classification, but also bring to justice those responsible for her death. So mm-hmm. her family just has pending civil suits against the, the New Jersey Transit Authority. Hmm. What do I believe personally? Because I don't think I've really let on what I think one way <laughs> or another. I truly believe we don't have enough information to know what actually happened to Tiffany. I think that the most likely answer based on how things were preserved and what's available to us and the lack of interviews or whatever that were done, I think the most likely answer is she committed suicide. But I can't stand here or sit here and 100% say I believe that because of all the inconsistencies, oddities, and mishandling of the evidence. It just makes me think somebody did this to Tiffany. Mm Mm-hmm. One thing that I do know for certain is that her family is not going to rest until they can feel confident that they know what happened to her. I had mentioned this before, but just to kind of like really hammer this point home, they continue to file civil suits in the hope that someday they're going to get the answers that they so desperately seek. Her sisters have recently started a petition on change.org to reopen Tiffany's case. If you're interested in contributing to their efforts, signing the petition, or even want to just check out some of the updates they post, we'll be sure to include that link in our show notes and on our socials. There's also a $40,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the individual or individuals responsible for Tiffany's death. Anyone with information about the case is urged to immediately contact law enforcement, including the State Office of Attorney General at 800-277-2427, and we'll also post that number in Mm -hmm. our show notes. In the meantime, Tiffany's family members spend time in the memorials they've constructed for her. Mm -hmm. There's one just off the tracks where she was hit, another at the site where her shoes were found, and several others at her parents' home. All of these memorials serve as reminders of the things that Tiffany loved. Turtles and giraffes, the New England Patriots, go Pats, Mm -hmm. softball, Six Flags Great Adventure, the beach, and of course, volleyball. Also in her parents' house is a quilt hanging over the stairwell with pictures of Tiffany printed on it. Mm. She's happy and she's smiling in every single photo. There's her with her friends and family, her on the volleyball court, at her graduation, and on the beach cheesing for the camera, which was my personal favorite photo that I saw. The quilt was a gift to her mother from her sisters, and it serves as a beautiful reminder of Tiffany's energy and spirit, as well as helping to memorialize her life. Her mother says having it prominently displayed helps her to still feel close to her daughter, even though she's no longer physically here. Oh, my gosh. Mm. And that, guys, is the conclusion of our episode on what happened to Tiffany Valiente. Stop doing unsolved cases, please. Thank you. They're my favorite. I don't know why, because I, too, am frustrated that I don't have all of the answers, because the way my brain works, like, it just does not function if it doesn't understand everything. So I, I feel like... For me, like it's almost maybe there's a chance for us to make a difference or something, right? Or somebody hears us or Laura's a genius and just solved something (laughs) over here. So guys, if you are loving Grimm, please rate and subscribe to our podcast. For those of you who listen on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a written review. It really makes our day every time we see one of those. Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast for case photos, which we are going to have no shortage of for this case, and to stay current on the latest episodes. Want to send us case suggestions or just say, hey, send us an email at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We hope you listen, learn, and stay alive until next time, because the future is grim. 